Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now, we are in the home stretch of a series of messages we've been involved in for uh, some time now called Empowered, the Spirit-Filled Life. Because we've been looking at the book of Acts, which is the uh, chronicle of the birth and uh, expansion of the Church of Jesus Christ. And it is an amazing read because of the miraculous power of God on display. These early believers were certainly learning a lot about about the Lord Jesus. They were daily, we'll talk about this in a minute again, but they were daily in the temple hearing the teaching of the apostles who spent three years with Jesus um, and uh, following him around, hearing him teach firsthand. And they, so these people are learning a lot about God and about the Lord Jesus, about salvation, about the Holy Spirit. But it is insufficient, and it's clearly evident in this book, that these people understood that just knowing stuff about God is insufficient. God intended for our life of faith to be one of experience as well as knowledge and theology and doctrine and all that, which is wonderful. But God meant for us to know what it's like to every single day experience his power at work in my life and through my life in this world that is so needy for him. So we've been learning through the pages of the book of Acts and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 about who the Holy Spirit is, what he's up to, how he wants to fill and overflow our lives. And then we've been talking about nine gifts of the Spirit that we read about in 1 Corinthians 12, nine Uh, supernatural enablings that the Holy Spirit wants to dispense or disperse through us to the meeting of needs in this world, these miraculous um, gifts that God wants to spread out through us to a world that is, is, is in such need. And so we've, these nine gifts, we've uh, just arbitrarily uh, grouped them into three triads. The first was the, the uh, power to communicate. And in that triad, we talked about the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophecy. And then we talked about the power to understand. And we talked about the gift of uh, the word of wisdom and word of knowledge and discerning of spirits. Last week, we moved into the, the last of these uh, triads, the Uh, the last group of three of these gifts of the Spirit that we're considering in this study, the power to change things. And those gifts are uh, faith, miracles, and healings. And today we come to the final one. Last week we talked about uh, faith and miracles. Today we're going to be talking about healings. And we'll take two weeks on this subject unless the the Lord uh, has other plans that I'm, I'm not aware of, and that certainly could be. But today we're going to talk about a theology of healing, and we're going to talk about some of the questions that people often ask, perhaps you have in your mind or heart this morning, about this subject of healing and 
its current uh, application. And then next week, we're going to talk about how to more effectively pray for people who are sick, minister healing to people. Now, we're not going to be talking about my personal experience. We're going to be talking about, we're going to be looking at Jesus's healing ministry and gaining some instruction from the principles he puts on display about how we could do a better job of cooperating with the Holy Spirit in helping people to experience miraculous healing. Let me just, before I go any further, make sure in case you aren't certain, I believe in the power of God to heal the sick today, just as he did when he walked among us, just as he put on display in in and through the lives of those early believers we read about in the book of Acts. I don't find any place in the New Testament where it says God got tired of or stopped loving people enough to heal them. And so we're going to continue to, or we're going to move forward in this study. I've asked you to turn to Acts chapter 3. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Now Peter and John, by the way, these were two of the uh, disciples who are now called apostles, the 12 that followed Jesus in his earthly ministry. Peter and John went up together to the temple. This was in Jerusalem at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And we're going to find out uh, that, or I, I, let me just make sure that you're clear on this. This was not a, a one-off. Peter and John, along with all of those early believers, the Bible says the, that a group of people that on the day of Pentecost, when the church was born 3,000 strong and have been uh, daily added to that number, that group of people, the Bible says, every day they went to the temple and uh, submitted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They worshiped God together as a big group. But then it also says they split up and were uh, gathering together from house to house as well. So they had this balance between the large corporate group gatherings and the, these small intimate fellowships where they broke bread together and, and a shared communion with one another in, in fellowship. So when Peter and John are on their way to the temple this day, it's their regular practice. They do this every day. Take note of that. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. So there's this guy who has uh, never walked in his entire life. Grown man has never walked in his entire life. We don't, we're not told the reason for that, what the condition was. But we are uh, specifically told this is a lifelong issue for him. And every day he is taken to a gate, one of the uh, gates that led to the temple area called Beautiful, where he, along with throngs of other people who were infirm and in trouble, uh, need, let's say, would go to beg for alms or beg for support Uh, from people who are going to the temple. And that's what he's doing. And it says there in the middle of verse 2, he's there to ask alms, that's to beg, from those who entered the temple. Verse 3, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asks for alms. And And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he, the lame man, gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, 
Silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is such an amazing miracle. Not just, I mean, think about it. This guy, we don't know the condition that caused him to be unable to walk. But in an instant, that is changed. Not only that, but muscles and other tissues that have never been used, never been exercised, never been strengthened, are suddenly able to support his weight so that he can not only walk, but dance a little jig and get excited about the fact that for the first time in his life, he is whole. What an amazing story this is. And I want to just let that simmer in the background for a little bit as we go and talk about a theology of healing and then some questions about healing, if I may. A theology. Now, you could take a, a seminary course and spend a semester on this, but I'll give it to you in about three minutes or so, if that's okay. <laughs> Certainly won't do it as much justice as if you had uh, done the other, but we'll, we'll get through it. So first of all, I want to, before we get there, turn now to Isaiah, way back in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And if you're not sure where that is, there's this thing called the table of contents. That'll get you there very quickly. Isaiah 53. We're going to read verses 4 and 5. But first, while you're getting there, let me just say, number one, in a, a biblical theology of healing is that healing is needed. You don't get any further on this whole thing unless you acknowledge the fact sickness is still something we deal with. I was just talking to a woman before the service started about a surgery she has scheduled for tomorrow. Look, we have infirmity with us because we have sin with us. Sin broke the planet and everything about God's perfect intentions for us. And as a result of that, there's viruses, there's there's a Zika, there's all of this other stuff that's constantly going on around us. There is um, genetic infirmities and the birth defects and all of that stuff is the result of sin. We brought it on ourselves, but it's still with us. And thank God for his mercy that has been shown to us in medical technology and understanding. We are the beneficiaries. Our world is the beneficiaries of the grace and mercy of God that he's allowed us to be able to have these technologies and medicines that are able to help people. But come on. Sickness is still with us. It's still an issue. We have a need for healing. That's number one. Number two, healing, thank God, is available. Read with me. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely, let me stop and say, Isaiah here is a, he's a prophet, um, meaning that he is, he lived 
hundreds of years before Jesus, the Messiah. And he is not looking backward on what has happened, but he's looking forward hundreds of years to what the Messiah, Jesus, would do. And he says these things. He says, surely he has borne our griefs. Uh, that word born means to bear under or bear up, to carry. Uh, the word griefs means sicknesses. Surely he, the Messiah, has borne, carried, taken care of our sicknesses and carried our sorrows. That word sorrows means, in the Hebrew, it means pains. This Messiah who is yet to come he will, he has already, in fact, in the, in the uh, eternal economy of God, carried our sicknesses, born or, or um, dealt with, covered, taken care of our pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. There's a lot of people this morning, maybe even in this room, to know that Jesus died on a cross and have some vague understanding of the fact that he suffered, not really sure why or that it has any bearing on their life and they've just sort of written it off at that. They don't understand yet. He was bearing their sicknesses. He was carrying their pains. But he was wounded. That word wounded means pierced through, pierced through. And you know, they, what we're going to read now is a cataloging of all of the things that Jesus suffered in his um, sacrifice for us. And we're going to be told the specifics of why he suffered each thing. It says there that he was pierced through. You know, they put nails in his hands and his feet. They put a crown of thorns on his head that pierced his brow. They put a... Uh, a, a spear into his side. They pierced him. It says that he was pierced through for this specific purpose, for our transgressions. Now that word transgressions literally means sin, singular. There's a difference between sin and sins. Sin has to do with our rebellion, our rebellion. It's our rebellion against God against his rule in our life. It's turning a deaf ear to what he wants to say and how he wants for us to live. That sin posture, that rebellion of our hearts against God is what causes us to do sins. The sins, the things that we do are the result of the rebellion of our hearts against God. And it says here that he was pierced through to deal with, to heal the spiritual sickness of our life that results from our sin and then it says that he was bruised or crushed and dear ones I, I, I hesitate to, to say this but it's the truth the Bible says he was beaten beyond recognition as a man he literally was beaten to a pulp on purpose to deal with to bring healing to the to the spirits of men and women who have sinned who who have as a result of their rebellion done sins that was paid for and covered by the bible says his being crushed and in the same way that our sins have a crushing weight upon our lives he he bore that for us 
The chastisement for our peace was upon him. That word chastisement means accusations. You know that Jesus, the Bible says, like a lamb before its shearers was dumb, that Jesus stood there while trial after trial occurred and people uh, accused him of all of these things. He never did. All of these false accusations, he took it. He took it and he took it without defending himself. Why? Because you and I have an accuser. The Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. You know that guy barking in your ear all the time and saying, you know, you'll never, you'll never be able to please God. You're the one, you're the only one that God could never love. You know, that thing, the one that is always reminding you of, of uh, the fact that you ought to feel guilty and shame before God. That voice of the lying spirit, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, he's falsely accusing you. And as a result, your heart, your soul, your soul. We are three-part beings, spirit, soul, and body. Jesus' healing covered it all. The spirit we've already talked about, the soul, your soul, is in before coming to Christ. You know, I don't need to tell you this, you know the, the stress and the anxiety and the insecurity that comes from that, that um, those false accusations of the enemy. Jesus took them so that your soul could be at rest and at peace in the safety and the security of knowing you are loved and saved and cleansed before him. Brings such rest to the soul. And then it goes on to say, and by his stripes we are healed. And they took a... Uh, they took an apparatus, a, a whip-type affair that was designed to tear flesh from the body, and they striped his back with it. They tore the flesh off his body. The Bible says so that our physical bodies could be healed as well. By his stripes, we are healed. The Lord Jesus, as Isaiah was looking forward to the Messiah's work, he said he's going to cover it all. He's going to bear our sicknesses and our pains. He's going to take care of it all, spirit, soul, and body. And so he did. Now, there are some people who want to say that these verses we read in Isaiah 53, 4, and 5, and don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to elevate myself up to any sort of grand position above anyone else. These are smart people, devoted people, and uh, so I'm not taking, I'm, I'm not. Uh, pointing any fingers of disregard to them in any way. But, but let me just make clear something. There are many who, in the Christian faith, want to restrict these verses we just read in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, to have only to do with spiritual healing, salvation. But Matthew the gospel writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in Matthew chapter 8, he's watching Jesus heal sick bodies. And he said he was doing so in fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Amen. So the Bible itself says this is not just about spirit healing, but the healing of our bodies as well. It's available, dear ones. Healing is available. The third point about this theology of healing is that it's for the whole person. I've already mentioned spirit, soul, and body. Wherever you're sick, <laughs> his sacrifice was enough. Enough. Covers it all. 
That'd be a good place to just thank the Lord. Let's thank the Lord. Praise your name, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you and exalt you. You are the living Savior. Thank you for going the distance. For not coming down from the cross. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. Let's talk about some of the questions that people have about uh, healing, divine healing, miraculous healing. I prefer the terms divine healing. Number one, does everyone get healed? Does everyone get healed? The reason this is an important question, I'm going to ask you to bear with me as I take some time with it, is because Christians tend to go to polar extremes on this issue. Either all the way over here, that, and we demand that God heal every time. And if we don't see the healing yet, well, then it's just, you know, we're just not doing it right. Or we need to believe harder. Or we need to not trust what our eyes see, but, you know, trust in the Word of God. All of those things are true, by the way, to a certain extent. But you get into this weird place when you go to that polar extreme where you're pushing God, it feels like, and indeed it is, you're trying to push God into a box of your design. What He ought to do, when He ought to do it, the way you think He should do it. And that's never a good idea. But then the other extreme, on the other polar end of things, is where a lot of Christians end up. That this is too messy. This whole healing thing is too unpredictable and too hard to deal with. So we're just going to forget about that. We're just going to call people to salvation. And hallelujah, I, please get saved, will you? <laughs> Make sure I get saved one of these days, will you, hon? It's a good thing. Anyway, and that's an awesome place to be. But if you carve out... If you cut off a major part of what Jesus suffered and died for, you have a kind of hollow gospel. We don't want to be over there either. So my, my goal is let's just deal honestly with what the Bible has to say. And not just our experience, by the way, but we're going to find that the Bible and our experience have some interactions, at different, some intersections. Let's just be honest because God doesn't need for us to be anything less than honest with him. So, does everyone get healed? And the answer to that question is no. No, they don't. I'll tell you why. Just look at the ministry of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, in one of many places, you'll see that it specifically says all were healed. This group of people there, every sick person that was in the presence of Jesus that day was healed miraculously of their diseases. But in Mark chapter 6, it says this. It says all of the people that were there, of all of the people that were there that day, few were healed. Not everyone. Why? Well, we'll talk some in a few minutes about why some people don't get healed. But the point is, not everybody who was sick and in the presence of Jesus was healed. You just have to settle that. How about the apostolic ministry? Let's go back to what we read in Acts chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 10 that we read earlier this morning. The, Peter and John had passed this lame man every single day. Why was it that on this specific day he was healed? On top of that, not only was this sick man there that day, but there were lots of other people there that were sick that day that didn't get healed. Why is that? Again, I'll give you some things that I think 
answer some of that question, but it can't be fully defined. It's just is. Not everyone got healed, even under Peter and John and the other apostles. Think about Paul himself. He wrote to the Galatians and he said, you guys know that when I preached the gospel to you, I was sick. We're not told exactly what that sickness was, but indications are in other, other of his writings that he'd suffered from some eye condition. And in 2 Corinthians, it says that he, he prayed over and over again and again and asked the Lord to, to remove a thorn in the flesh. They may not be the same things, but there is a likely connection between the two, that this sickness that he talked about in Galatians was the thorn of flesh, thorn in the flesh that he was asking the Lord to take out of him or take away from him. And the Lord answered him and said, my grace is sufficient for you and I'm going to reveal my strength through your weakness. And then Paul says, well, that's good enough for me. So the likelihood he w- is that he was not ever healed of that. On top of that, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he specifically says, Paul says, I left Trophimus sick. So the Apostle Paul, no, there, in the apostolic ministry, we have the evidence that not everyone was healed. Well, if that's the case, that not everyone gets healed all the time, it kind of, I don't know about you, but it kind of helps me. It kind of lifts the burden off of me. All I need to do is make sure that I uh, don't fail to pray for people. The rest is up to God. If not everyone is healed all the time, why not? And I can't answer that, this question um, completely, but here are some things to consider from the Bible. Unbelief. In fact, when I mentioned from, at, from Mark chapter 6, where it says that in Jesus' ministry, few were healed that day, it says that the reason that they weren't, there weren't more healed is because of unbelief. Unbelief, or, or excuse me, belief, faith, is a big part of divine healing on the part of the person receiving healing, on the part of the person ministering or praying for the, for, for the healing. And we, but we have to be careful about this too because it's not the only issue. It's not the only thing. And I, I've witnessed people say they, they, they've prayed for a sick person and there's been no response or no healing. And I've heard people say, Christians say, well, if you would just believe harder, you'd be healed. I'm giving it everything I got. Come on. What a a load of, of guilt and, you know, that, that puts on a person. We have to be careful about this, but we also don't need to shrink back from the fact that faith is an important part of miracle, of uh, miraculous healing, of divine healing, and unbelief can be a reason why someone might not be healed. There's also the law of sowing and reaping. Um, if I... You know, if I'm a smoker and I smoke four packs a day for my whole adult life, I might end up with some problems later on down the road. And to imagine that God is just going to give me a free pass is not likely. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It doesn't mean that he can't. But there is some measure of sowing and reaping that goes into this equation. And there are some times that I am just dealing with stuff I brought on myself. There's also unconfessed and unrepented sin. You can 
Check out Deuteronomy 28, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There are times when people uh, re resist acknowledging their iniquity and God can't, uh, it's not that he can't, excuse me. It, God is, is uh, this gonna, we'll talk about this in a minute. God has other priorities. The main priority of his life is helping you come to the point of repentance that you could receive forgiveness. And uh, so if you are, if there's unrepentant sin in your, your life, if you I haven't come to that place of acknowledging, getting on the same page with how God feels about your sin, um, healing may, may be an issue. I mean, might not, not uh, be, uh, come to you. And then there's God's timing. You remember, uh, I could take you to several places, but in John chapter 11, Jesus' friend, Lazarus, was sick, and they told Jesus, look, they went to look for him, and they said, your, your friend is going to die. He's that sick. This is gonna, he's going to perish from this. And then it says in the next verse, so he stayed where he was. What? This is your good friend, Jesus. Why don't you go help? You've healed all these other people. Why don't you go help? He doesn't. He shows up later after he's already dead. Why? So that he could raise Lazarus from the dead. I'm not sure Lazarus was all that happy about that thing, but that's another story. Um, there's timing. There, there, and I don't know how all of these things fit together, but these are some of the reasons why a person might not be healed when you go to pray for them. And then there's, as I mentioned, God's priorities. He is most concerned about yours and my salvation. And let's say you are, uh, you've got some sort of terminal illness, and um, the, the issue now is that thing, that term, God doesn't make people sick, by the way. Let's just settle that. God doesn't cause sickness. But if in the midst of that terminal illness, God is using it to draw you to him for salvation, then does it make sense for him to eliminate that sickness before the most important thing happens? We want to, look, I am the worst, when I get sick, I get a cold or a, a flu or something. I am the worst patient in the world. I whine and complain, and I pray, God, just take me home. This is so miserable. Are you like that? Don't answer. But I know what it's like when we don't feel well. It's, it's, it's consuming. It's like the only thing we can think of is, if I could just breathe again, right? Like, that's the most important thing on the planet that I, my sinuses would clear, Sometimes God has some other priorities of things that are more important than that. And it's not that he is insensitive to our symptoms and whatnot, but there are other things that he is at work doing in this world that sometimes the, the temporary condition that we're in is moving us towards. Does that make sense? So these are some of the things that um, would cause a person perhaps not to be healed. By the way, let me just go on record and say I'm not building a case for faithlessness. I'm building a case for honest faith. Okay? All right, so if all of this is uh, true, should we pray more than once for somebody? You know, if I pray for you and you don't get healed, 
should I just kind of chalk it up to, well, there's stuff going on that I don't know, and I, God bless you. We'll see you later, you know. Is that how we ought to? I mean, really, there's a lot of people who wonder about that. I mean, why should I have to go to God more than once? Why, why not just leave it with him and, you know, I've done my part, I prayed, and, and move on. I want you to consider Jesus' example. We are told uh, by Jesus' example to pray until we receive what we're asking for. In uh, Mark chapter 8, you remember Jesus pray prays for this blind man. Puts his hands on, after spitting in his face, by the way. But anyway, that's another story. Lays his hands on him, prays for him. And then he says, what do you see? Well, I see men like trees walking. And Jesus says, okay, let's go at it again. Lays hands on him a second time, prays for him, and says, okay, now what do you see? I see perfectly, I see clearly. Notice this. The Son of God prayed more than once for someone to be healed. So the fact that I might need to pray a few times for someone, carry a burden of prayer over some period of time for someone who's sick might not be a surprising thing. In fact, maybe it's working something in me, drawing me closer to the Lord and the intensity and passion that I find myself being drawn in as, into as I pursue the throne of God. Maybe that's working something in me as well as them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I mentioned this about the Apostle Paul and his thorn in the flesh. Not only should we pray until the healing is complete, but there's the, the alternative or the uh, additional side of that thing is we should pray until we, the healing is complete or until we receive additional or further direction from the Lord. And that's what happened with Paul. He prayed many times about this thorn in the flesh until he heard from the Lord. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to demonstrate my power in your weakness. And then, then Paul let it go. He said, all right, that's it. That's good enough for me. So it can be either of those things. We persevere in prayer for, for someone to be healed until that healing comes, dear ones. Or we hear specifically from God that he's doing something else and we need to adjust our approach. Does that make sense? And then I guess uh, maybe this doesn't need to be asked or uh, answered. But I, to me, I think it's also an important question. Why should we pray at all? Why should we pray for the sick at all? <coughs> well, first, because God loves people. God loves people. Turn with me to Psalm uh, 107. The book of Psalms is kind of right in the middle of your Bible, if you've got a paper Bible. Um, and you're going to look with me at verse 17. Psalm 107 Verse 17. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Dear ones, we have no one to blame for sickness in this world but ourselves. It's the result of our sin, the sin of our race. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul absorbed all, or excuse me, abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. 
Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. That's the kind of God we have. Let's don't, for a minute, imagine that our God is capricious. Never give place to that idea that we have a God who just kind of, you know, I like you today. I'll, I'm going to do something nice for you. I'm going to heal you. How's that? <laughs> you, not so much. Uh, check with me later. You know, we don't have that God. He loves people. He loves to respond to our need when we come to him. Malachi 4 verse 2 says that the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. That's the God we have. So that's why we pray for people. We also pray for people who are sick because Jesus wants to continue his healing ministry through us. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus sent out the 12 while he was still with them. He sent them out on a little missionary tour and he told them, preach the gospel. He said, pray for those who are bound that they would be delivered and pray for the sick that they would be healed. And they come back all jacked up because God has been true to his word and people have been delivered from bondage and, and saved and healed. And then he says, don't get so excited about this. This is just the way that the life of the kingdom works. This is just life in the kingdom. And then he sent out more with them, 70 this time. He gave them the exact same instruction. Preach the, preach the gospel, deliver the bound, and uh, heal the sick. And they did. And then in John chapter 14, it talks about how all of us, all believers, have been commissioned to pray for the sick, to minister, continue this ministry of Jesus' uh, healing along with all of the other aspects of, of his ministry. And then to me, kind of the most important reason why we pray for the sick is because we don't receive if we don't ask. My job is to ask, period. That's it. But I don't want someone to, be, to continue in a state of infirmity because I didn't pray. I want to be honest with the word of God and with God himself, with the situation and circumstances I'm in. But even with that honesty, I can believe. It's an honest faith that says, God, you are able. You are able. And I trust you with this person and with their need. I trust you with my own life and with my need. I bring to you this infirmity. Lord, strike it down in your name. Bring healing to these tissues that are affected. And with every ounce of faith I have, I leave it with him and trust him. That's the approach that I want to take and I pray that God will cause our congregation to be a house of people where the healing grace of God flows to sick spirits, sick souls, and sick bodies. This is recording number 11202 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 6, 2016.
This is the ninth message in a series titled, Empowered, the Spirit-Filled Life. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Power to Change Things, Part 2.